appreciate that very, very much. Um, It's quite a, quite a message to the song. We're in Matthew 22 this morning. Matthew 22. Our, yeah, young people can be dismissed, children's church-wise. Um, Dawn, that was doing the, the sign language for us, um, I, I thought this would be interesting because they're doing a song that I don't know, and they're doing sign language that I don't know. Um, but I actually followed it pretty well. It seemed to, seemed to work out pretty good. And uh, so that uh, is good. But the sign language, we're, we're doing sign language as our, <laughs> as our foreign language in our high school. And for some reason, all of our students are doing so much better in all their other classes. Um, <laughs> some of you will get that tomorrow afternoon. Um, but yeah, the teachers don't know the sign languages, but the, the students do, so... Now, a scratch of the head means, um, you know, Abraham, and um, next thing you know, it's they, they know all the answers to all the tests and things of that nature, so. Now you're getting it. There we go. <laughs> this, this little rumble is like, oh, now we get it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Matthew 22 is where we are uh, in, our, in our study. <laughs> The title is, Is There a Dress Code in Heaven? Um, I have told people, uh, tongue-in-cheek, not meaning one single word of it, but if heaven is choir robes and name tags, I don't want to go, all right? Um, Now, really, those are not deal breakers, uh, considering the other option. Um, But at the same time, I don't don't like name tags. we go to different conventions and things of that nature, and oh, they give you a name tag, and it has your name and all this kind of stuff, and it's supposed to get you into the meals and all the things, and so people know who you are, and you know, they come up to you, and you're like, oh, Fred Go Ebert, uh, yeah, where, Factoryville, what a weird name that is, where's, <laughs> so I just take mine and put it in my pocket, because it's like, I don't need that stuff, and so I don't, uh, and then the choir robes was something that my mom uh, strongly encouraged me to sing in the choir when I was a kid, um, that's like forced, um, and, uh, but, and they would go back and forth from choir robes to not choir robes, choir robes to not choir robes, and um, it's like, you know, if, if heaven is, you know, standing around in choir robes for thousands of years just singing, I love to sing, but no. <laughs> and so the fact of the matter is it, it's not going to be like that, and in heaven is not going to be a boring situation or a miserable situation. But interestingly enough, we find in the passage in, in Matthew 22, there is a dress code in heaven. And so uh, it's, interesting, uh, it's interesting that uh, this has been brought up, and we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. We're getting near the end of Jesus' ministry, and the disciples are being really put to the test more than ever. They've been told from the very beginning that they're going to need to deny themselves and possibly deny their family, forsake all, follow me, and, and most likely have to die for your faith. At this particular time, he tells them even further that you're going to have to pretty much stand alone. The world hates me, and they will hate you. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, and then 
It's like a nobleman going to a far country. I'm going to go and get my kingdom, and I will come back, but I need you to occupy till I come. And you're going to have to do it on your own, and it's not going to be easy because, again, they're not going to be your friends. The Pharisees are the adversaries at this particular time. A lot of people think it's Rome. Rome is not the adversary. Uh, the main adversary for Jesus' time were the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the elders, the rulers of the people. He says they're false shepherds, they're hirelings, they're self-righteous. They trust in themselves, they're blind spiritually, they seek the praise of men. They're covetous and they look down upon others. Jesus clearly tells them the kingdom is not just made up of those who are born Jews or those who uh, try to earn it by their good works. And because of this, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, Caiaphas, they all come to the same conclusion, this Jesus fellow must die. And then Jesus tells the disciples that that is exactly correct. That is exactly what the Old Testament says about the Messiah. He'll be despised. He'll be rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He'll be wounded. He'll be oppressed. He'll be afflicted. His hands and his feet will be pierced, and they will cast lots for his garments. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem on what would be Palm Sunday, which we are celebrating today, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he comes down the Mount of Olives and orchestrates basically his own Easter or pre-Easter parade, if you please. Hmm, that's a little distracting. That's a lot distracting. Remind me not to look up. Okay. Um, as Jesus is, is, is coming on Palm Sunday, he descends the Mount of Olives. And as he does, people from Bethany that remember him, the, the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, they break out with Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. And then the Pharisees themselves speak and say, well, you, you need to stop this. This is, this is blasphemy. This is, this is wrong. And Jesus says, well, if I stop them, the rocks themselves will cry out. But before Jesus enters Jerusalem, he stops and he weeps over Jerusalem because it's so promising. They're saying all the right stuff. They look so good. But there's no real fruit anywhere to be found or anytime soon. He comes into Jerusalem. He casts the money, changes out of the temple. They had worked their way back in after, after he had cast them out previously. He heals the sick and the lame and invites them back to the temple area. He teaches in the temple and finally comes to the point where he says, you know what? This is no longer going to be a place of worship. This is no longer going to be a place where God dwells. The worship, as far as the temple is concerned, is over. And then last week we looked at the, <laughs> the immediate response is like, well, by what authority? Who, who gave you the right to do this? Who, who gave you the authority? We certainly didn't give you this authority. What's, where does your spiritual authority come from? And he says, well, you tell me. John the Baptist, uh, was his authority, did he do what he did by authority from heaven or by earth? And they contemplated it back and forth and back and forth, and finally they decided it was in their best interest not to answer. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you either because you know. You know his authority came from heaven and you just don't want to admit it, and you know that mine comes from the same place and you don't want to admit it. What I want us to see this morning more than anything else is as Jesus begins in chapter 22 of Matthew and chapter 23, he is going to specifically target the religious leaders because they are willfully uh, disobeying. They are willfully rejecting Christ. 
This is not they just don't understand it, they just don't get it. This is a willful rejection. This is a planned attack on Jesus. Uh, and, and it's not, uh, and, and Jesus is, is not going to pull any punches as we're, as we're close to the end here. He says that these Pharisees and, and, and these leaders of the people, he said, you act like the, the son that the, the, the father comes and says, hey, will you work in my field? Oh, yes, dad, I will. Yes, sir, I'll be glad to do it. And never shows up. You say all the right things. You act all the right ways. And, and it looks like you're respectful. It looks like you're, oh, you're the wonderful son. You're the good, you're the good young man. But you've not obeyed. You've not done anything that the Father wants you to do. Oh, and you take the second son. He says, no, he's not going to go. But later he repents and changes his mind and says, I will go, and I will go in the field. And he says, that's the publicans and the harlots. They're going to be part of the kingdom because they, who, which one obeyed the will of his Father? You said all the right stuff, and you acted the part perfectly. You've got the robes, and you've got the prayers, and you've got all the other stuff, and everybody thinks you're wonderful, and everybody thinks certainly you're going to heaven. And he says, which one's really going? You're all fraud. It's all hypocritical. The publicans are harlot. They're the ones with obedient and faith. Their faith will be rewarded. He goes on to say that despite the miracles that Jesus did, many still did not believe. And then it says, among the Pharisees, there were those who believed, but they kept silence for fear of losing their position or fear uh, they, they enjoyed the praise of men too much. And the last thing we looked at last week was the fact that Jesus said that my father has done everything in his power to make Israel a profitable vineyard. I've planted a good vine. I've hedged it about. There's a tower. We've removed all the stones. We've weeded the garden. There's a wine press here, but we have not gotten what we were after. We've not gotten the fruit that we were after. And literally the phrase is, what could I have done more? And from a God standpoint, the answer is nothing more. The greatness of their unbelief. But I sent my servants, and you beat my servants, and you stoned them, and you killed them, and then I sent my son, and you killed my son. What do you suppose the householder, what do you suppose God's going to do to those wicked servants? You've refused to submit to my authority. You've rejected the chief cornerstone. You've not bowed the knee. What do you suppose is going to happen? And as we look at chapter 22, Jesus tells them the parable of a wedding feast. This is different. We looked at a wedding feast earlier, even in the book of Matthew. This one is different. And we'll show you the differences as we go through. But again, I want you to notice the willful. The, the other one, if you remember, they made up excuses. Oh, I've got to, uh, I, I, I was just married and I've taken a wife and I, I've just bought some land and I've got to check it out. And I've just made excuses for not coming. This is a willful saying, no. And what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus says, I am the Son of God, I am the Savior of the world, I am the Messiah, I am sent from God, and they go, Pew! no. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, let's see what happens <laughs> when you do that. Before we start, Father, help us as we look at your word this morning, help us as we look at this chapter 
to see the hardness of men's heart, to see the, uh, how they could come to a point where they literally slammed the door in Jesus' face, where they literally wanted nothing to do with him or his ministry. Father, I pray, again, if there's somebody in this room that does not know you as Savior, that today might be the day they understand that you are the only way. You are the only way to salvation. You are the only way to heaven. May the stubbornness and the procrastination be put to the side and might get this matter settled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 22, verse number 1, And Jesus answered and spoke unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them, and they were bidden to the wedding. And notice again, they would not come. And again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are, are, are killed, and all things are ready. Uh, come to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remainder took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was angry, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which are bidden are not or were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highway and gathered together as many as they found, both good and bad. And the wedding it was furnished with guests. You see the differences from what we studied before. Uh, they made all kinds of excuses. And he said, all right, well, we're going to still fill the place and go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. But you see the difference here. It's like the ones who did not come, there's a consequence for not coming. Oh, we just missed out on the wedding. No, because there's only two places where people go when they die. <laughs> when a person dies, the word death means separation. The soul and spirit are separated from the body, and it either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. There are two places very clearly distinguished in the Bible. And if you're not part of the group that goes to heaven or to the marriage supper or the marriage feast that is talked about here where God is the one uh, having a feast, a marriage feast for his son, if you're not there, then it is destruction is the result. And so let's go back just a little bit. Verse number one, again, he speaks to them in parables. And again, this is a, I like the phrase, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but he's using things that people understand to explain uh, things that they do not understand. And, and even then, even by the use of parables, it is still somewhat hidden to, uh, to folks. They, some just don't get it. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king that made a marriage for his son. And again, the king here is going to be God the Father. The son, of course, is Jesus. And the servants were called. They were bidden to the way, and they would not come. Notice, please, they knew there was going to be one. This is not just uh, springing this on them. They, they knew, uh, it says, uh, they were, he sent for the servants to call them that were bidden uh, to the wedding, that they, but they would not come. These folks had received an invitation, 
And it's like to be determined or to be decided when this will be. This is going, you know, this is the event and this is what, you know, supposedly this is what they've been looking for. They want to be part of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, this is what, uh, by birth, we're Jews, we're going to be part of the kingdom of God. And by good works, we're going to be at the higher tables, you know, in this, in this marriage feast. And, and when, when everything is assembled, we'll be sitting in the chief seats because we're such wonderful people. And now the time has come and they're not coming it's like, and basically it's like, we're not coming to your wedding. We're still looking for somebody else's wedding. We're still, this is, we don't think this is the right one. We don't think you are the son of God. We don't think you are the savior of the world. We do not think you have been sent from God. Now, again, this is refusing. This is important for you to understand. This is refusing Jesus's witness, all the miracles and things that he did and all the things that he said, it's refusing God's verbal witness in regards to this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the words you have, you know, you have glorified me and you will continue to do so. And it's also dismissing the Holy Spirit's witness where the Spirit of God, it says, has witnessed in their heart. He said, you know that this is truth and you still do not respond. You know, this is willful rejecting of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three of these. And this is where Jesus comes to the place where he finally says, you know, if you reject the witness of the Holy Spirit within your heart, there is no salvation in this world or the world to come. This is how it works. This is how it happens. The Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit. The Spirit of God talks to you. If you refuse the Holy Spirit, there is no other way for salvation. There is no other way. And that is part of this story as well, because it's not just people that decided they weren't going to come, but they, they, they would not come. And so he, he sends others, he tells them again, this is important, gives them another chance, a second chance, a third chance, chance and, and chance again. Uh, and, and it could be they rejected the, the message of John the Baptist. Okay, well then finally we're sent, you know, I sent servant after servant, prophet after prophet, John the Baptist, now my son. And, and you see the parallel in all these things. They refused the first invitation. They refused the second. They would not come. Willful refusal. And, and then he goes on to the place where he says, I, I, I sent other servants, verse 4, tell them that are bidden. I have prepared my, it's, I have prepared this is, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. I've prepared my dinner. It was my oxen, my dinner, my fatlings. They're killed. All things are ready. Come to the marriage. It's time. It's time. But they made light of it. It's no big deal. Another word would be despised. We couldn't care less. Now again, any king that <laughs> invites you to the wedding uh, I mean, certainly you should have learned this from Cinderella by now, okay? Any king that invites you to the ball, okay? Whoa, this is a big occasion. You do not turn down the invitation. You come. This is a slight to the king. The king says, I want you to come to the wedding of my son. No, nah, we're not interested. I sent my son to save mankind. No, nah, we're not interested. I sent my son. He died on the cross for your sin, for he paid the eternal penalty on the cross for your sin. Nah, no big deal. That is what all this is. That is what all this means. I've sent my son. There. <laughs> How do you expect the king 
to respond. They made light of it. They went their way. One to his farm, another to his brother. Back to our own business. This is more important anyways, doing what we're doing. Again, the Pharisees, we've told you this before, they, they loved the praise of men. They were covetous. They were after, they didn't want to lose their position. And then it's not enough that they just said no. They took the servants and treated them spitefully. And they slew them. Again, the Bible talks very, very clearly about Stephen in the book of Acts. And this is prophetic in the sense that this is what happens later following Christ's resurrection. Stephen is speaking to them about the fact, you killed the Lord Jesus Christ. You killed the Savior, your Savior. You killed your Messiah. And it says that Stephen's word pricked them to the heart. But instead of falling on their knees and, and confessing and, 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 and uh, you know, admitting their guilt, it says they stopped their ears so they couldn't hear what Stephen had to say anymore, and they ran at him and stoned him with stones till he was dead. We need to just shut him up. We need to shut him up. And that's it. We're not going to respond. Here's the Pharisees. We're not going to respond. We have dr- drawn the line. We're not, we've slammed the door in Jesus' face. We're not accepting you as the Messiah. You need, he must be killed. He must be put to death. And anybody who keeps doing this, anybody who keeps talking about this, and we're going to spitefully treat them, we're going to kill them too. This, we've got to put an end to this. We've got to stop this. They took the servants and spitefully used them and slew them. But when the king heard of it, oh, and by the way, with Stephen... Stephen hit the nail on the head when he said to them, you do always, this is in, in Acts chapter 7, you do always resist the Holy Spirit of God. He says, from the, your fathers to the present, the Spirit of God is bearing witness with you that this is true. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. And then they took James. Later they would take James and Herod would, would take James's head off. And it says, it pleased the Jews, so let's go after Peter. Let's go after all of them. Let's kill all the disciples. When the king heard of it, verse number 8, he was angry and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Jesus has referred to this before when he wept over Jerusalem and he talked about, oh, you just don't understand what your rejection means. The death of the fig tree... And the death of Jerusalem is linked with this. In 70 AD, the Roman general Titus will come down and he will burn up the city. He will not have it so that not one stone is laid upon another. The temple is completely destroyed. The city is burnt. Uh, according to Josephus, most people believe that he uh, exaggerates the figures, but according to him, a million people were killed in these conflicts between the Jews and the Romans. Other statistics say there was like 350,000 deaths. 100,000 people were made into slaves by the Romans as they came and burned up the city in about 70 AD. And um, he said, they, these murderers shall be destroyed and burned up their city. And he said unto his servants, the wedding is ready. But they which were bidden, those that were first called, or if you please, I'm going to set myself up for later, those who were first chosen to come were not worthy. 
They did not come. They were given an invitation. And by the way, this goes on uh, through the first, for the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. After Jesus' uh, resurrection and Jesus says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. For seven chapters in the book of Acts, they are concentrating on winning the Jews to Christ. Getting, getting Jewish people to, to uh, trust Christ as their Messiah. And time after time, place after place, and even later when, when Paul goes out on his missionary journeys, if there's a synagogue, he goes to the synagogue first. And after about two weeks, they kick him out of the synagogue and he says, fine, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. I'm going to share my message with them. And one by one, it's like boom, 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 boom. The, the Jewish people, the Jewish synagogues shut their doors and slam their doors. And he says, all right. They were not worthy. Therefore, verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid them to the marriage. This is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Find as many as you can, whoever you can find. Anyone who will listen. Salvation is not just for the Jews. There's sheep, I have sheep of another fold. He says, go into the highways, as many as you can find. Jesus will tell them in Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Ghost. Therefore, teach all nations, all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives, the same Jesus which you've seen taken from you will come in like manner as you've seen him go. You will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem city, Judea, the province of the area, Samaria, the neighboring one, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, this is where the message is supposed to go. Go out, whoever you can find, whoever will respond, as many as they've found. Uh, go into the highways, as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Interesting phrase, both bad and good. Um, I, uh, when I see two young people together, and they're of the mischievous sort, I will say, oh, look, it's bad and worse. Okay? Now, the clever one always goes, you know, I'm bad. Which immediately means the other person is? No, 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 worse. It's bad and worse. It's not bad and good, okay? Bad and worse. I'm bad. Okay, thank you for that confession. All right. Um, here where it says bad and good, some have distinguished it to the fact that uh, even, you know, as they went into the world, as they went into these different places, and as Paul went to different places and spoke in the synagogue, some did believe, so we still do have Jewish people that are still responding. There are still good Jewish people that we originally invited that they are responding to who Jesus is and they are coming to faith in Christ. And then the bad would be the, pff, those heathen Gentile people. Or most likely. It's just a reference to even an earlier parable where Jesus talked about the dragnet. Where the way a dragnet works, and we're not talking about, you know, um, um, what's his name? What was the Joe Friday, yeah. Harry Morgan was uh, the other guy. That, so anyways... Um, 
mind filled with all kinds of worthless information. Anyways, the dragnet we're talking about is a fishing net, and we're basically dragging whatever comes, comes. Whatever we get, we get. Uh, they do a lot of this down in uh, Florida where we were from, uh, along the Gulf Coast. <laughs> a lot of the things they'd catch, it turned out it's uh, cat food. Okay, we're going to grind all this up because it's just a miscellaneous catch of whatever. We're, we've got some of the things that we're after, but we've got a bunch of other stuff too. Well, we'll just gather that up and grind it up, and we just made some cat food. And, uh, but the dragon is whatever comes in the net, we're going we're gonna to take. And, and literally, that's what Jesus says. He says, go out into the highway, says, grab a net, drag it, and whoever falls in, it doesn't matter, good, bad, whatever, it doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what nationality they are, doesn't matter what background they have, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and I, we'll take whoever or whatever, and he says, as many as were found, both bad and good, uh, the wedding was furnished with guests. This is the idea. Universal offer of salvation. Universal, it's been offered, and again, you see it, it was offered to... We, <laughs> The Jews, first opportunity. And many of them did respond. I don't want to say that nobody responded. But as far as the leadership concerned, they did not. The Pharisees are bragging about the fact, which amongst us, which among the Pharisees, you know, believe this thing? Only dumb, stupid people are falling for this. No, we, we won't, you know, we're too smart for this. But it says there were some among the Pharisees that believed, but eh, we don't want to tell them that we're, you know... <laughs> They were one of the dummies that believe, okay? We don't want you to know that. And so the leadership comes up with the idea, we, we've got to crucify him. We've got to put him to death. We've got to silence him. We have to stop this Jesus of Nazareth. We have to stop the followers of the way. We have to put an end to this. And they persecuted the Christians. They persecuted the believers to the point where people were afraid. But now it has been offered, and they slammed the door. They said no, and now it's been offered to whosoever will. Look at verse 11. And when the king came, the nets had been drunk, and we just, here's all the people at the wedding feast. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how comest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And the king then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away. Cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me stop here. If he's being cast to outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, this sounds like what to you? Yeah. He's going to damnation. He's going to hell. He's going to the lake of fire. Because he doesn't have the right garment. He wasn't dressed properly. Well, let's get to the real story here. The king observes the guests. This one does not have a wedding garment. It is exactly the same principle. It's exactly the same idea of the people that said, No, I'm not coming to the wedding. Willful, stubborn disobedience. No, we're not coming to your son's wedding. We're not interested. We don't even recognize it as being an important event. It's of no consequence. And now you have somebody who comes, and typically what would happen 
Wedding garments were provided by the host. The king would provide the garments. You didn't have to have a special garment. You didn't have to go buy a special dress or a special uh, tuxedo for the event. The garments were provided by the hosts. And again, the more wealthy the host, the more garments he had, the more guests he could invite. And our particular host is so wealthy that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mind, and he can invite how many guests? As many as he wants. Whosoever will may come, because I have wedding garments for everyone. He is not limited to the number of people that can come. And so the number of wedding garments in, indicated the wealth of the, of the king, and the king provides these wedding garments, long white robes, and basically part of the idea was so that you could not distinguish between the good and the poor and the bad and the ugly, okay? These are um, <clears throat> school uniforms, Okay? Every kid's dressed the same way, okay? They don't have to compete. You know, little girls competing with who has the cutest clothes, you know? Uh, nope, we're all wearing the same khakis. <laughs> we're all wearing the same T-shirt. We're all wearing the same stuff. And the king would give out the garments. And basically what is implied here is this guy says, you know, I don't want the king's garment. I'm fine like I am. I'm good, just like this. I'm good. And obviously, you're not. Long white robes, couldn't distinguish between the... Go into the highways and the hedges, as many as you can find, good and bad. Cast them out. He said, I want you to take him, bind him, hand and foot, cast him into utter darkness, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name we've cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is the equivalent. By the way, the garment which we're going to see in just a few moments the garment that we're given is a garment of Christ's righteousness. It's Jesus Christ. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's because of what Christ did for us on the cross that we have these pure white garments that have been given to us. We have not earned them. They've just been given to us. We're guests. And he says, the king says, here, I want you to wear this. Reminds me of what my son has done for you. I'm not interested in your son's garment. What I've done on my own is sufficient. What I've done on my own is good enough. Look at my self-righteousness. And of course, Isaiah says self-righteousness is as filthy rags. So you've come to my wedding of my son, and you think you're dressed fine. You've got filthy rags. Or again, <laughs> maybe the, you know, the king's new clothes. <laughs> uh, there's a groan here as, again, four people understand that reference. All right. Uh, the, the idea is you're not dressed appropriate. We refuse. This is what the Bible calls the way of Cain. You know what Cain did? God said, what I want is I want a sacrifice. I, I want a, a, a lamb, a spotless lamb to be sacrificed, and I want you to bring me that sacrifice. Cain says, you know what? I'm, I'm, 
I'm going to bring you the best I've got of my veggies and stuff that I've grown in my garden. I'm going to bring you the best of, of my produce and what I've accomplished. Guess that's not what I'm after. I said, Cain, go do the right thing and it'll be accepted. He says, no, 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 what's wrong with what I did? I, look, at, I did this. I, I, I grew this. This is mine. This should be good enough. <laughs> no. And it says, Cain departed from the presence of the Lord. Of course, after killing Abel, refusing to do what God asked him to do, refusing to put on the you know, to do it God's way. I was refusing to put on Christ's righteousness. I, I'm going to stand before him in my own righteousness. I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to be able to get into that place <laughs> with, my own, with my own outfit, with my own clothes, with my own self-righteousness. This will be good enough to get me up into heaven. <laughs> the king spots you right away. He says, this man does not belong here. Because the only way is through Christ. Let me share these references with you. Sorry, with Romans chapter 9. I think we can follow with this. Paul writes to the Romans, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, they followed not after righteousness. They, 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 the Jews, the goal from the very beginning was to be part of the kingdom. And the Gentiles didn't have that so much as a goal. They followed not after righteousness. But somehow they're going to be in the kingdom. Somehow they've attained to righteousness, even the righteousness that they get by faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, who tried, they have not attained to the law of righteousness. Why or wherefore? Well, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They thought they could earn it themselves, do it their own way, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. They, they tripped over Jesus. They didn't see him as the chief cornerstone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed." Brethren, Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they're going about to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. He will not rule over us. He will not be our God. They have not. They they would not. Philippians 3.9, Paul says, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through, Christ, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In the book of Revelation, it talks about this, he that overcometh, this is the church at Sardis, by the way, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, uh, clothed in white raiment. Later, it talks about tribulation saints. When, I, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell in the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Revelation 7. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hand. 
And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 19, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, and that righteousness that we get through Christ. That's the righteousness that saints have, is Christ's righteousness. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon a white horse, clothed in fine linen, clean and, or white and clean. The garments. Coming into God's presence with your own garment. Coming into God's presence with your own self-righteousness. I'll get there my way. The next verse says, many are called, but few are chosen. Some people grab this verse and say, oh, this is a verse for, uh, um, for predestination. Many are called, but few are chosen. Only the, you know, everybody's called, but only a few are chosen. Literally, if you, if you read the story, we read the story, they were all chosen. But some chose not to come. Many are called, all were chosen, but few ended up at the feast. They chose not to come. A chosen few will enjoy the feast. A few have chosen to be chosen is actually what it's more like. Many were called, many were invited. All these people were invited, and they said, we will not come. But few have chosen to come. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Pharisees did not recognize Jesus as being God's Son. They had made their minds up. It closed their mind to any possibility that Jesus would be who he said it is. And Jesus had told him repeatedly, you know, he said, you better think about this. If you're convinced that you're right and you're going to the judge and the, and the judge tells you you're not, you need to get this settled before you get to the judge. You need to, maybe you want to think this over because you're not going to want to stand at the judgment and be wrong about this. They refused to come. It's no, no big deal to us. And then some, or one, it says, indicated that, well, you know what, if, if worse comes to worst, I can just get there on my own. I can get there my own way. No, no, you can't. It's not by works of righteousness which you have done. That's grace. It's a gift. The wedding garment is a gift. It's something that the king hands out. And it's the righteousness of Christ that we put on. And now we're worthy because of what Christ has done for us to be there. Not something we did on our own. Our garments just don't match up. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Father, I pray again that it would be clearly seen that there is only one way into your presence, and it's through Jesus Christ. And what Christ has done for us on the cross because of what he did on the cross, our sin has been paid for, paid in full. 
And we can have the righteousness of Christ that is just a gift that he gives to us. And we might be able to be in God's presence. Father, I pray, again, that we would see the importance of who Jesus is and to know him is to have life eternal. Father, I pray, again, speak to our hearts, make it clear to our minds. May we have a desire to accept and receive and not stubbornly reject and try to do things on our own. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.